Hey everybody, welcome to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast, dedicated to raising awareness, sharing IBD stories, and offering support for those with Crohn's and colitis. Together, we can share knowledge, experiences, and help show the world the many faces of IBD. Hi everyone, thank you for joining me for the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Gish, Crohn's warrior since 2006 and lifelong fitness fanatic. My guest today is Jen Bubert. For anyone who follows her on Instagram, where she shares her Crohn's journey, life, health, and fitness, you'll know her as Jen versus Gut. So Jen's here to talk about her nearly 20-year journey with Crohn's, having gone through the gamut of medications, clinical trials, surgery, and even trying to go it alone for a year. Thank you so much for talking with me today, Jen, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. Wonderful. Well, so one of the things I've come to rely on as an IBD patient myself is the experience and the stories that other Crohn's and colitis patients who are willing to share their stories with the world. And so I think with this disease, it can be easy to forget we're not alone and we have so much to gain from learning and understanding how this disease affects all of us in similar yet different ways. So why don't you start by telling your Crohn's story and kind of your first flare and your lead up to your diagnosis. Okay. So um, I was in high school. I was diagnosed back in 2001. And before that, I had experienced a lot of symptoms relative to um, anemia and um, exhaustion and things that you don't typically see with a high school student. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother was getting pretty concerned and I had been seeing my pediatrician of course but he wasn't really able to kind of figure out what was going on beyond that and so she brought me to a family medicine doctor and he is the one ultimately who said you know what I think we need to try a colonoscopy and see if there's anything that would come out of that I mean they even tested me for leukemia and ran me through a whole gamut of tests at that point so yeah I was I was in pretty rough shape and my mom was, my mom was pretty worried. Um, and so he is what led me to a pediatric gastroenterologist in Portland, Maine at Maine Medical. And that's when I got my diagnosis of Crohn's disease. Now, do you have um, any IBD in your family or was this, or were you the first one? So I'm the first one. I do have some history of autoimmune deficiencies in, um, in my family. My uncle has rheumatoid arthritis. Um, and then most recently, my sister actually just got diagnosed with Hashimoto's. Hmm. Um, so, but besides those two situations of autoimmune diseases, um, there's no other IBD in the family. Mm -hmm. So what was it like if you were so young in high school? I mean, I think I was 24, 25 when I got diagnosed, but I can't really imagine what it would have been like in high school. Was it a shock? Was it confusing? Were you relieved to have a, a label? I know that's how I felt. <laughs> yeah, I was definitely relieved to know what was finally going on, but it was incredibly overwhelming. Um, you know, I got kind of dumped a ton of pills mm-hmm. and a ton of food restrictions. And for someone in high school who, you know, likes to hang out with her friends and do things that other people are doing, like I felt like kind of isolated in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I couldn't, you know, 
looking back on it now, it seems silly, but I couldn't mm-hmm. have, I couldn't drink soda. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do without soda? Or I can't have pizza or I can't have fried foods. And, you know, just all of these things that I was so accustomed to having. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I had to kind of be a little bit of an outcast to, to some degree. And I know a lot of my friends were very supportive and, um, but it still made me feel pretty uncomfortable Yeah, that I had this, that I had this label now that something was wrong with me. Um, so that was challenging. And it affects us in such a, a social way. I mean, because even mm-hmm. as high schoolers, it's the thing is to go somewhere and hang out and eat. And when yeah. you're when you're removed from that, it, even as an adult, it's hard. But when you're a student still, it's even harder, I think. Yeah, I um, as I was preparing for this morning's interview, it was interesting because one of the one of the times that really sticks out for me is um a bunch of my friends had gathered together and we were planning to go bowling. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm from Maine. We didn't really have a lot to do up there. And one thing that we did a lot was bowling. And so we were, I think it was someone's birthday party or something. And we were all packed in the car, bunch of cars getting ready to go. And I felt so sick all of a sudden it hit me so fast. And mm-hmm. I don't know if it was something I ate or what, but I had to, pretty much not go. I ended up getting driven home and missed the whole party. And I remember laying on the couch that night and feeling so crabby um, for not being able to, to be part of that. And it was like, I think it was one of my first scenarios where mm-hmm. I felt left out out of that social situation. So it was tough. Yeah, that definitely is. So did they put you on medications right away when you were still in high school or did you have to, was it a trial and error thing that a lot of us go through to figure out what the path is going to be? I think I pretty much got thrown on a bunch of pills to start. Mm -hmm. I was on like P, Pentassa, prednisone. You know, I literally went from like never taking medication of, you know, maybe a multivitamin to having like, you know, 15 pills a day. Like it was Mm -hmm. crazy. Um, And so they started off there And to the best of my recollection, that stuff wasn't really working that great. And I think some of those medications are obviously pretty tough to be on for a long period of time. And so they were trying to shift me to something that was maybe more tolerable and manageable. Um, So my first medication off the pills was uh, Remicade. Mm -hmm. Um, And that required traveling two hours every, you know, I think it got to be every eight weeks at one point. Um, I literally spent the entire day at a hospital um, at Maine Medical Center on the inpatient pediatric floor because at that time they didn't really have any other means to give me the infusion. Um, they'd literally admit me, and I would be there for pretty much six six hours or so getting the infusion um, at that point because it was still very new. I know it's, it's administered differently today, but mm-hmm. um, that's what it was like for me then. Um, and I actually just recently found out that because of those infusion appointments and kind of the flexibility that we needed to have during that day and pretty much right off the entire day, my mom lost her second job because of that because oh, wow. um, they weren't okay with the idea of her taking that time off. So wow, kind of crazy. That is. Yeah. That's, it's sad. It's sad to hear, really. Yeah. 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 So tell me, you've had Crohn's for almost 20 years, and it's a disease of remission and flares and remission and flares. How do you feel you've managed it 
overall? Because you've gone through a lot of different medications. Do you feel like there's been points where you felt good and in control or um, kind of give me a little bit about that? And then I think you're just starting a clinical trial. So kind of talk mm-hmm. about your 20 years and then how, how you're coming into this clinical trial a bit. So when I went on Remicade, I was on that for several years, and that was definitely, when I think back to being on that, um, I was definitely in a really good point mm-hmm. um, for probably a good couple of years, which was great because I was entering college and, you know, needed the stability in my health during that period of time. Um, but it unfortunately started, um, my body grew immune to it, and mm-hmm. my body wasn't responding to it anymore. And so they, they had to pull me off that. And at that point, I think I went on Humira, Mm -hmm. did that for quite a while. Same sort of scenario happened. I went on it. I experienced, um, some relief, Mm -hmm. which was fantastic. But again, my body grew immune to it. So I kind of was in this cycle, um, over the, probably the first eight or 10 years of my disease going on a medication, having it help me and then having it, uh, fail. Yeah. So, that was definitely um, challenging because, you know, he'd be like, all right, well, I have another drug for you. And then yeah. I'd try that and then on that for a little while and then that would fail. And so that was kind of interesting. Um, kind of an emotional roller coaster, really, because I know from, you know, when I'm doing really good, you feel like you're on top of the world. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's like out of nowhere, either a medication mm-hmm. will stop working or a flare comes up and it's just like you're crushed. And it's... yeah. It's a frust- Absolutely. frustrating thing. Yeah. And I, you know, I got married to my husband um, back in 2006. And shortly after that, we, of course, wanted to start a family. Um, and at that point, I wasn't in a super stable point in my health and mm-hmm. was feeling pretty frustrated because all I wanted to do was get pregnant and have a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were like, you know, I really don't think you're at a good point in this to to take on that because pregnancy can either put you in a really good place and put you in remission Mm -hmm. or it can put you in a position where you're swearing. Yeah. And once you're in the pregnancy, you're kind of in it. So it's something that you kind of have to ride. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so I was lucky enough that I kind of took the plunge. I was on Tysabri at the time and it put me in a point of remission and I felt fantastic during my first pregnancy, um, which was amazing. I mean, I was eating things that I typically can't eat. Um, Mm -hmm. I was having, you know, salad every day at lunchtime and it was, it was so, so exciting. Um, and so I went through that experience feeling great. Um, had a very healthy little girl and, um, shortly after I had her went back on Tysabri Um, But unfortunately, there is some um, concerns about um, this disease called PML that you can get. Mm -hmm. Um, And they tested me for that to see if I had a marker for it. And I did um, have a marker for that. So it was a situation where then they had to take me off the Tysabri. So something Mm -hmm. that was making me feel so great, and it wasn't a biologic, um, Mm -hmm. different makeup, and I couldn't continue it anymore because of another <laughs> another wow. reason. So that was that was pretty um, dramatic for me because I was feeling like, oh, I finally found a medication that works that I won't grow immune to, and then that happened. And then so they took it away. Um, yeah, <laughs> they took it away. 
Um, so that was definitely quite a challenge for me. And then several years, um, probably in between my two pregnancies, I had um, a lot of challenges with strictures mm-hmm. and um, fistulas and things that required not surgery, but a lot of, a lot of um, procedures. And so mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time seeing a colorectal surgeon. Um, so I was dealing with that a lot for quite a while. And then that kind of settled down, thankfully, and kind of gave me some life back. Um, and at that point, I was on, I went on some other drugs, Solera, Simzia. Mm-hmm. Um, none of those really seemed to do much for me again, because they were similar makeup to the other, the Remicade and Humira. Yeah. Um, so I think at that point, my body was like, no, like you need to stop mm-hmm. trying to give me these things. They're not working. So try something else. Um, so I had my second child and I was on Intivio at that, at the time um, when I conceived with her and that also went amazingly well. I had some other pregnancy complications, but not really mm-hmm. Crohn's related, um, but had a very healthy little girl. And then so since then, um, I think I got to a point where I was just tired mm-hmm. of all of it. I was tired of going to the doctors. I, I live in New Hampshire. Um, I'm lucky enough to have a fantastic physician in Boston at Brigham Women's. Mm-hmm. And But I was just tired. I was tired of driving down there. I was tired of talking about me. Mm-hmm. I was tired of all the different medications, um, failing, not working, you know, remembering to take pills every day. Um, you know, just the whole thing. I just got, I got worn down, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I took a break and I said, I'm just, I'm not going to do this anymore. And I think, um, you know, one of my greatest challenges Mm -hmm. that I face is listening to my body. Yes. Um, over (laughs) the the last 18 years. Yeah. It's so, you know, it seems like an easy thing and you know, being on Instagram really opened my eyes to mm-hmm. kind of see how other people listen to their own bodies. Mm-hmm. But it's it's listening and not settling for what you're feeling. I think I grew such a tolerance to my symptoms that I actually, in turn, was then harming myself because I wasn't I wasn't coming to terms with the fact that I needed help. Mm-hmm. Um, that I was dealing I was just dealing with the symptoms and getting through my day. You know, I'm a mom. I have stuff to do, you know, we all, Mm -hmm. every mom can relate, you know, I got to get through every day. I have to be there for my kids and I can't be succumbing to my, to my symptoms and laying in bed and taking a day for myself. Like I just Mm -hmm. couldn't do that. And, but I think in turn that that actually caused me more harm. I think it's like the stress of the disease causes more stress, which makes the disease worse, which causes more stress, which Mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. adds this extra spiral. And so I, I can definitely imagine how being able to just say, all right, I'm done with this. I'm just, you know, tired of being sick would actually help relieve some of that stress and clear, clear your mind almost. Absolutely. Because I wasn't harping on how many times I went to the bathroom or, mm-hmm. you know, how much abdominal pain I had. I was just getting through it. You know, I was just, I was just churning through my day and making stuff happen at home and not, not dwelling on it. And so I think in a lot of ways it helped me. Mm-hmm. Um, but unfortunately 
in the end, it got to a point where I needed to wake up and be more present for myself again. Um, and this, so earlier this year, January, I had another colonoscopy. You know, I have them. I'll be mm-hmm. having them every year um, going forward, but every other year or so I have one. Yeah. And I came out of that colonoscopy with my physician saying, like, Jen, I don't understand how you're standing up right now. Really? Um, yeah, he he found such a significant stricture in my where your small and large um, intestine connect mm-hmm. that he couldn't um, he couldn't even complete the colonoscopy. Now, did you um, have any symptoms that made you even think there yeah, was something like that? I mean, that? not to not anything that I thought was that serious. I mm-hmm. mean, again, I think I just I tolerate my symptoms very well, mm-hmm. and so you know, constant diarrhea is just a normal day to day thing for me, um, and I was lucky enough to not, I don't typically experience a ton of abdominal pain, or Mm -hmm. if I do, again, I'm, I'm tolerating it okay. Um, and so for me, I wasn't really, I mean, he always asked me like, how's your energy? It's like, well, you know, I have Crohn's and I have two very active little girls. Like I'm tired. (laughs) My energy is not great. I'm always tired. Yeah. So, you know, that was always a funny question for me because I'm always experiencing some level of exhaustion. I don't know what's normal exhaustion mm-hmm. and what's like Crohn's exhaustion, you know? Well, and I think we get um, so used to pushing ourselves and yeah. just pushing through the pain that we lose sense of what normal actually is. And so it's like, exactly. well, I, I made it here today. I, I must be okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, you know, I got everything I needed done and yeah, I'm tired, but can't, isn't everybody tired? Yeah. I mean... Yeah. So that was pretty eye opening for me and pretty scary um, for him to kind of say that to me. Mm-hmm. And so he he rushed to get some imaging done, confirmed that there was significant amount of scar tissue buildup and um, inflammation. And he felt like it was really at the point where I needed to consider surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I feel super lucky, like literally a year prior to the conversation of him telling me I need a surgery, I was asking him, do you think it's, I mean, is it good that I've had Crohn's this long and I've not had surgery? Cause mm-hmm. I always, I always would hear like, okay, well, surgery is pretty close to inevitable if you have Crohn's. Mm-hmm. Um, and besides all the surgical procedures I had, I had never had like a surgical like resection or anything like that. And so I felt pretty lucky. And he's like, yeah. He's like, I thought you were headed in that trajectory a couple of years ago, but things kind of just settled out and now you're in a good place. And I'm like, super. And so, you know, it's just amazing what six months or a year can do. Yeah. And kind of put you right back in that position. So that with a surgeon, um, he felt like I needed to be proactive in the treatment of the stricture and get the um, get the resection done, schedule it versus it having be something that created a blockage and became mm-hmm. emergent. Mm-hmm. Um, so we scheduled it for it was a pretty quick period of time, probably a week or two um, after that conversation with him. And so I had a um, ileocolic resection. So Mm -hmm. the section where my small and large intestine connect kind of removed that section. Um, He had indicated, I went with a surgeon that had, um, that was going to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, He was going to be conservative. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but what I didn't want was for him to just take more out than he needed to. Right. Um, because another thing that I had always heard is once you have one surgery, the likelihood of you having further resections down the road are very possible. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted him to take out as little as possible. Um, so I had great hopes that after my surgery and after I recovered that I was going to feel fantastic because he was getting rid of that whole disease section of my intestine that was causing me so much problem. Mm-hmm. Um, once I got through my um, recovery, that wasn't necessarily the case. And I started experiencing more symptoms of diarrhea constant. And at this point, I think was the real change for me to say, Jen, like, Stop tolerating your symptoms. Like, mm-hmm. start listening to what your body's telling you and don't just roll over. Like, continue to go back to your doctor. Continue to tell him mm-hmm. what's going on. You know, don't accept it. And right. so I think that was the beginning of kind of a new chapter for me um, to really start listening to what my body was telling me. And so since then, I've been on, I went back on Humira to see if that would help me. Mm-hmm. It unfortunately didn't um, do what I needed it to do and um, spent a lot of time talking to my doctor about my options. And he said, there's always options, but at this point, given my history and how many medications I've been on in the past, he doesn't really feel like there's anything on the market mm-hmm. that would be helpful for me. And so that's what um, caused me to consider a clinical trial. Now, did your doctor bring up the clinical trial or did you have to pretty much go find it on your own? No, he brought it up. Mm-hmm. Um, he is very active in a lot of the newer treatments that are out on the market. And um, luckily at Brigham Women's, they have some clinical research that's happening. Mm-hmm. And so he um, works, He was working directly with the principal investigator for this particular trial um, and essentially recommended that I speak with her and get the details of what that looks like. And I mean, he was very honest with me to say that Jen, there's always options, Yeah. but I think your best option. That's good. This. That's good to hear. And I know finding the right gastroenterologist is so critical because I've heard some horror stories from other people that have just had, you know, doctors who will tell them there's nothing you can do. Sorry, this is it. Doesn't matter anything. And then there's other doctors who are so, willing to just, you know, try this, try this, there's something else. What, mm-hmm. what do you mm-hmm. feel you want to do? Um, so it sounds like you've got one of the good ones. I do. I'm super lucky. I've been with him now for, I don't know, just over 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, him and his nurse practitioner are phenomenal. I mean, they literally will call me at nighttime mm-hmm. um, if I'm going through something really challenging and talk me through it and give me some advice on kind of what the next step can look like. Yeah. So I could not ask for a better, better team. Wow. So you just yeah. started the clinical trial. Have you just gone through the interview process or have you actually started? What's that going to look like? So I just had my screening appointment this week. And so what that looked like is I went in, I met with the um, lead physician Mm-hmm. And she asked me, we went over my entire history. She asked me a lot of questions about my current symptoms. And then we went through a lot of testing. I had lab work done. I had um, an ECG, a chest x-ray, um, urine and stool samples, um, physical exams, skin checks, kind of a whole like gamut. It was a couple hours. Um, 
And so we went through that and that that's like the initial screening appointment. I'm still waiting on the results of that. Mm-hmm. Um, if I passed that section, then I will be undergoing another colonoscopy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's essentially to ensure that I have active Crohn's disease. Um, even though I just had a colonoscopy actually like a month and a half ago, <laughs> yeah. I unfortunately have to have another one as part of the actual study to confirm the Crohn's disease is actually oh. present in my intestinal lining. So, <laughs> That's yeah, a pretty like, close, okay. uh, close time frame. <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. I'm getting really, I'm getting really good at the colonoscopy prep. So yeah, yeah it, <laughs> it, it, that, so that's scheduled for January 3rd. Um, once I complete that colonoscopy, then I'll know for sure that I'm able to enter the clinical trial. You know, I find it interesting because for the longest time, I honestly, I didn't really pay attention to what was going on in the IBD world. I got, you know, diagnosed in 2006, and my doctors always just said, there's nothing you can do, just take this drug, um, and here's my number, <laughs> kind of a thing. And so, oh. so I never really paid attention to kind of what was going on in the research field or what was being done. And the more that I'm starting to pay attention to it now, it is such an exciting area right now because there really are a lot of trials going on, a lot of new medications being developed, and a lot of hope and possibilities for people with IBD. So it's, I think it's pretty exciting. And I'm excited to hear that there's something that there might be a possibility for you to go into this trial because it's, it's really an amazing, just an amazing time. And we need something (laughs) in IBD. We do. We do. Um, And what's, what I'm really excited about um, this particular medication, it's already on the market for ulcerative colitis. Mm. Um, And even though it's a biologic, it actually isn't made up of a protein, which the protein is what causes your body to grow an immune response to. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I'm most excited about. I think there's actually an opportunity here where this medication could work yeah. and then um, actually be sustainable longer term. That's exciting. It sounds very different than from the other yeah. biologics that are there. Yes. Yep. Absolutely. So that's exciting. So talk to me more about listening to your body, because I can tell, obviously, from what you were saying, but then from your posts, too, self-care is definitely a big thing for you, and I think it's important for all of us. So can you talk about Mm -hmm. how how that important part of your life impacts your IBD? Yeah, so um, I actually didn't, I mean, self-care is like such a buzzword right now, Mm -hmm. and it's funny because I didn't really understand the importance of that piece until I started um, trying to be more active in my life mm-hmm. um, and realizing that self-care is just as important as all the other things that you're doing in your day. It's as important as eating. It's as important as working out. Um, and you really need to integrate it into your day as much as you can, mm-hmm. um, even if it's something small. So self-care has been um super important for me, especially in the last six months, as I've been kind of in a constant flare state and really just trying to stay stable, I guess, enough so I can be present for my family and for my job and all of that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Is there any specific activity that you enjoy more than the others as far as self-care? I think um, for me, self-care means taking time 
out of your day to focus on you. And so I've spent a lot of time listening to podcasts mm-hmm. lately, which I've never really done before. Mm-hmm. Um, and learning being in the Instagram world, it's funny. I, I've been on Instagram for a really long time, but mm-hmm. have really changed how I'm using it now in the last six months. Yeah. And so I've gotten a chance to really meet other individuals like you and like many others mm-hmm. who are on this journey with me. And for me, that is self-care too, because it's giving me some insight on what others are going through. And it gives me ideas on things that maybe I can be doing for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but what's one thing that's super important that it kind of hit me this week, I did a post um, last week and it got a lot of attention and it realized that I, as much as I tell myself not to compare myself to others, I realized that I was, yeah. um, because I was feeling bad that I'm relying on medications to treat my illness when there are so many, so many others that have been able to do this and be med free. And so I think I was judging myself and judging mm-hmm. the fact that I couldn't, couldn't do it med free. And instead after doing that post, I realized I need to just accept the journey that I'm on mm-hmm. and know that it's okay what I'm doing and my approach. And maybe someday it will lead to med-free life. But mm-hmm. right now that's not for me and then that that's okay. I think it's just human nature to kind of always compare ourselves because as much as we, we try not to, you kind of have to consciously not do it in order to, <laughs> to not do it. And so it's a yep. tricky thing. And then you throw... Crohn's and colitis on top, which are such finicky diseases that behave, they're similar, but in every person, they're so different. And so there's this wide Mm -hmm. spectrum of, well, this person might be going on this path and my path just took a sharp left turn and, Mm -hmm. and it, it's frustrating. And so it's, it's hard, it's hard to kind of wrap your head around that and finally say, all right, this is, this is my path (laughs) and let's see where it goes. Yep, exactly, exactly, yep. So let's talk about food a little bit, because I'm certainly obsessed with food, but not so much (laughs) in a good way, I think. (laughs) Um, And so I know as IBD patients, we all, um, we know how individual food can be. I I laugh because Mm -hmm. there's a coworker I used to work with who, she, she could eat salads and chocolate, and she did great. And those were, those are my pretty much poison foods, <laughs> salads and chocolate, yep. but yet I can yep. eat steak and drink red wine. And she would look at me and say, I could never eat that. That would just drive me to the hospital. <laughs> so yep, absolutely. So yep. what, have, what have you found? What's been your experience with food? And then even when you've been on medication, did you get full relief or did you still end up watching what you eat? I definitely, when I was on medications that were really putting me in a more remission state of state, I was, I definitely had expanded kind of what I was eating, um, Mm -hmm. which is a good thing, except it then puts you back in a mindset that you can eat that and puts you back in a rhythm and a routine. And so then when you, when you fall back and you're in more of a flare state, you have to pull back all of those things that you're used to again. Mm Mm-hmm. And then that just makes it tough and it makes, it kind of brings you down a little bit. And I definitely am a lover of food. Um, I, and it drives me crazy the things that I can't eat that I love so much. French fries being probably one of them. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I definitely have French fries more than I should. Um, and I just can't help myself. So it's yeah. just, it is what it is. But for me, what I found in the past that's worked really well, there's, um, there's a diet called low FODMAP mm-hmm. um, that restricts quite a few random things. And if it's done right, though, essentially what you do is you go through a full elimination period. Um, and once you get through that elimination period, you take each of the different groups that you're eliminate, eliminating and you bring one back at a time for a period of, I think it's one or two weeks, mm-hmm. you get an idea of if that one food group is causing you symptoms or not. And then you pull that back out and then you add the next group in. And so it's quite a process that requires dedication and some commitment to, because Mm -hmm. for somebody who's on the go a lot, it's very challenging to kind of try to do that. Um, But that did bring me to a point where I realized that dairy is not my friend. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was one thing that came out of me following that process to say like, okay, I really should not be having dairy in my life. So even though that would maybe seem like an easy thing to diagnose for me, it wasn't. And it was quite an eye opener to say like, okay, if I pull dairy out, then that will, that will relieve some of my symptoms. And so over time you kind of reintroduce the other areas back because otherwise it's very restrictive. Mm -hmm. Um, But I found that to be super helpful. Um, And I mean, during a flare, I think most importantly, like low residue diet is the best way to go. My nurse practitioner would always say like turkey dinner, like anything you'd get on a turkey dinner, like Mm -hmm. stick with that. Um, And then, and you know, anything you'll have on Thanksgiving, um, you know, the mashed potato, the turkey, everything like that. I mean, the other thing, exactly. um, I most recently cut out red meat out of my diet. Mm -hmm. um, Mostly because I think it's really hard for my body to digest Mm -hmm. and, Um, I just, overall, I think it makes sense for me to kind of pull back and it was an easy thing for me to do. Um, but yeah, food is definitely a challenge for me. Um, I'm constantly trying to decide if I want to cut gluten out of my diet or not. Um, but it's just a hard thing to do. And I think all those gluten free alternative things, there's so many out there that are, I feel like just as harmful that if you're going to go gluten-free, it doesn't mean you buy the gluten-free bread and, or like all that stuff that's out there because I don't know. I just don't think, I think it's got a lot of fake stuff in it that's not necessarily helpful for you. More chemicals. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then fake sugar Mm -hmm. is another big one for me. I don't, um, I try not to have anything that has any fake sugar in it whatsoever. Um, any sucralose or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Um, I think, I think Splenda, I used to, I mean, I used to eat bags of Splenda at a time. I had such a terrible sweet tooth, but I learned about it later. And I think apparently it really destroys the gut microbiome. So in, yep. hi- in hindsight, <laughs> could have yep. been a factor in, in my life. But Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely trying to cut out sugar, more sugar overall in my diet, just mm-hmm. to that kind of see. But for me, it's and I think for anybody, it's challenging to say like, okay, today I ate a peanut butter toast and mm-hmm. oh my gosh, my belly's killing me. It doesn't mean that next week the peanut butter toast will bother me. I think it depends on where your body is in that given day and what else you've had yeah. and eaten. And I think that's what makes it so challenging to kind of just try deciphering where your triggers are um, because I think any day can be different. I agree. And I think 
I think our bodies evolve and adapt too, because I've gone through periods mm-hmm. where I've been able to eat certain foods and then all of a sudden it'll just change. And then the food that yep. I thought was safe is now suddenly a trigger. And so it's, it's kind yeah. of just when you think you might be getting a little bit of control, <laughs> your, yeah. your body says, yep. nope, sorry. <laughs> yep, absolutely. So do you have any tricks or tips to share when your body does go into flare? Is there anything that you find, all right, this is happening, let me take these steps to, to try to help? I think you have to be kind to yourself. You have to be accepting of the things that you maybe can't do that you normally can do on another day um, or another week or you know however long it might be going on. I think For me, I really ratchet back my diet and do more low-residue diet, and Mm -hmm. I think just resting and taking the time to listen and relax and really just be okay with the fact that you can't make the cookies for the school party and you can't, you know, you can't be at every meeting at work or, you know, whatever that might look like for you Mm -hmm. and just not beat yourself up about it. I think that causes more stress and just makes things worse. Um, I agree. And eating pad is Mm -hmm. my, is probably my life Mm -hmm. when um, I'm really going through something tough. Um, Lots of, lots of peppermint tea, ginger tea, um, a nice heating pad, a book, Netflix, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is and just kind of chill and shut your brain off. Letting your body have the time to hopefully try and repair itself. Yep. So what's the biggest challenge do you think that you've that you've faced since having Crohn's and how did you get through it? I think probably um, the pregnancies. Mm-hmm. I was I was just so afraid of of being pregnant and having potentially having like worsening symptoms and not being able to take a lot of medication mm-hmm. and not do a lot of that. I think luckily I came out on the other side in a positive way. Um, and I think honestly, my biggest challenge I might be in right now. Um, mm-hmm. I'm really, I think my body is really testing me right now. Yeah. And I think because I'm not settling and, and just dealing with the symptoms, I'm turning over this like new leaf for myself Mm-hmm. and really saying, okay, I'm not going to just tolerate these things. It's not a good thing, but it, I can't, you know, it's been my survival technique for so many years um, that I think that this might be my biggest challenge point, like really mm-hmm. just making sure that I'm doing what I need to do for me and I do the best I can in the rest of my life, but that it needs to be about me. Yeah, I think that's so important. I think it's it's so easy to forget that we have to put ourselves first and especially mm-hmm. when you've got kids and, and mm-hmm. family, it's, it's hard to do. And so I think it's definitely a challenge. So, yeah, but you're not alone. And that's, what's amazing about, <laughs> you know, the IBD community. Every time I turn around, mm-hmm. there's just so much support and it's so inspiring to hear everyone else talk about what they're going through or maybe they're going through, they're finished with something that you're just embarking Mm -hmm. upon. There's so much Mm -hmm. that we can gain. Absolutely. So so if there were one thing that you wished people knew about Crohn's and colitis, about the diseases, but don't know, is there one thing that you wish people did know? 
you know, I was thinking about this question and I guess my best answer is that it's not just about the pooping. Like Mm -hmm. it's so much more than that. I mean, there's such a mental game that happens with this disease. There's so much fatigue and exhaustion that happens with this disease. There's Mm -hmm. so much, there's so many issues with intimacy, even with your partner, um, with your kids that make, that just make everything so challenging. I mean, the, there's so many other things that happen outside of the digestive tract Mm -hmm. that are part of IBD, um, you know, joint pains and eye, eye issues and mouth sores and skin conditions. And there's so many other things that go along with it. It's not just a bad case of diarrhea or, um, constipation or whatever. There's so much more to it. Well, and I think it's so hard because so many of the symptoms and things that come along with Crohn's are such personal things that not a lot of people typically tend to open up and talk about it. And so it ends up being even more secrecy and people end up truly not understanding what the disease is. And that just like you're saying, it's, it's hard to explain to people that it's not just this bathroom disease when, when nobody's really out (laughs) talking about it. So I think the more that people start sharing their stories and and talking about those things will definitely help. Yeah, I mean, I literally have spent the majority of my Crohn's journey being um, fairly silent about mm-hmm. what I was going through. Um, because quite honestly, I don't want to be talking about myself all the time. I don't want people to know the constant. It's such mm-hmm. a constant thing. It's a daily yeah. thing that if I talked, like I would literally be talking about it all the time. There's no point in talking about it all the time. Like, and what's, what's interesting is that when people then know that I'm not feeling good, then they, they treat me a little bit different. And it's like, I want the understanding, but I also don't want the attention. Mm -hmm. And even though I don't look sick, there is a lot of stuff going on. And it's just, it's, it's quite a struggle to try to navigate through what you share and what you don't share. And I think Instagram has actually given me a platform to be more open and honest about it. Mm -hmm. And those that are even closest with me, um, are learning a lot. And so just, just through that, um, which is kind of interesting because I just really haven't spent a lot of my journey talking about the things that are going on. I kind of just have dealt with them. I talked to my doctor about Mm -hmm. them, but I haven't let um, those closest with me in. Yeah, I, I think it's amazing because I've kind of done the same thing. It's only in the last year that I started blogging about my Crohn's after having it, you know, for over a decade. And it's just, it's, it's hard to kind of share because you don't, like you're saying, you don't want to be seen as just complaining constantly, but then we're constantly hiding how we feel. And it's this, right. this frustrating spot to be in. It's like, you can't answer the question every day. How are you? I'm not great. <laughs> right, exactly. But like, I'm here. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. So the last big thing I want to talk to you about is fitness. And um, for many people, like we were talking about self-care earlier, and for many people, mm-hmm. exercise and fitness can be a great way to do that self-care. And it can actually have a big role in managing IBD and helping how we feel. So you've, you've made fitness a big part of your life. Um, so tell me, do Mm -hmm. you find that exercise and fitness, do you find that it starts to help in managing your, your Crohn's? 
I think fitness for me became an area of um, control. Mm-hmm. It became something that I actually had control over. Mm-hmm. Um, for anybody that knows me, I am not someone who has ever exercised. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always known as like the girl who'd sign up for a 5K and not do any training <laughs> and like show up that morning and like kill myself that I would do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I've been known to do that like multiple times because I always liked the idea of it, but I never actually wanted to put the, the work into it on a daily basis. Um, to get myself to a point where I was like prepared and able to do that. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I literally, I think post-surgery, post not feeling good, it was one of those things in the back of my head that said, okay, well, I wonder if I exercise, if I would start feeling better. Like I need mm-hmm. to just move my butt and see what happens. And so I literally woke up like one day in June and said, you know what, I'm going to work out today. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm going to do something. Mm -hmm. And I literally like opened up YouTube, pulled up like 20 minute hit workout Mm -hmm. and I did it in my kitchen. And I remember my husband walked in the store (laughs) and he was like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm working out. And he was like, okay. (laughs) Today's the Um, day. (laughs) Today's the day. And that was honestly the first day of this journey that I've been on. And so when I think back to that day, like that day was so important because I always made excuses. Mm -hmm. I literally always had a reason not to. Whether it was like, oh, I don't want to buy a gym membership or, oh, you know, the kids are going to be home soon mm-hmm. or, you know, and so I can't go out for a run or, you know, whatever it was. And I just said, you know what, like I can do this in my house. And mm-hmm. so that's what I started doing. I just started like every day I'd pull up YouTube and I'd pull up a different workout or I'd go on Pinterest and I'd find some like series of workouts that I could do. And that's kind of what started it for me. And I realized that like, this is something that I have control over every day. Mm -hmm. Like I can make the decision to get up and move my body. And Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's going to help my IVD or not, but it in my brain has kind of allowed me to shift my focus and start thinking about exercise in a different way. Yeah. I think that the importance of having control over something I think can be underestimated because I know For me, in hindsight, when I look at everything, the reason I think I spend so much time playing with my food and supplements and Mm -hmm. workouts is because just like you're saying, I feel like those are the only things that I have control over and I I want to control something. I want to feel like I have, like I'm fighting, that I'm actively fighting in this disease. Exactly. Exactly. I'm doing something. Well, you're usually, you're out there on your Instagram, you're killing it with the workouts and it is awesome, but you're also telling me you've been in pretty much this constant flare for the better part of this year. So how do you, how do you find, how do you manage being in a flare and fitting that fitness in? I think that's been my biggest message that I've been trying to get across is, um, even though you're flaring, like don't make it your excuse to not do something because unless I can't get out of bed or I can't get off the couch, unless I'm in excruciating abdominal pain, Mm -hmm. I'm pushing play on my workout every day. Mm -hmm. Um, Because even if it's just yoga, even if it's just, you know, upper, like an, like an arm exercises, even no matter what it is, it could be something that doesn't, isn't, you know, focused on my core. I want to always be doing something if Mm -hmm. I'm able to. And I think, there 
there's this mindset and I know it because it's the mindset that I had that I was too sick to get up and show up for myself every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me that I think you literally, you just have to change your mindset. You have to show up for yourself mm-hmm. and you have to get up and you have to hit play and don't think about it. Like just do it. And you would be surprised at how much better you feel after you hit play. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I modify some of my workout mm-hmm. on days where I'm not just not feeling it, but the point is that I did it and yeah. it doesn't matter that I didn't do the mountain climbers for a whole minute. It right. matters that I did them for 30 seconds and I took a break and maybe I jumped in the last 10 seconds. I actually, I gave it my all and that's, mm-hmm. that's what matters. Well, and I think that's what's so great about being able to work out at home too is because with IBD, if you're in a flare or maybe not in a flare, I know there's been days where I've been like, I don't feel good, but I don't feel bad. But so I don't know if I want to go out in public, but if you can work out at home and at least start Mm -hmm. moving your body and doing something, oftentimes that'll just help lift the mood too. It puts you on the right track. I think the at-home workouts have been a game changer for me. I didn't until I, like, I didn't know it until I knew, knew it really. I mean, mm-hmm. I didn't realize what my barriers were until I just said, okay, let's just do this. Mm-hmm. If I, I know for a fact that I would not be doing this if I wasn't doing this at home. Yeah. Because yeah. I mean, the amount of times that I hit pause and I run to the bathroom or the amount of times that I hit pause and I sit down, I take a break and I drink some water or like there's so many times where I'm doing that during my workouts, and that's okay when you're at home and mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about who's watching you, who's paying attention, who's not paying attention. You know, I deal with that enough in my daily life to say like, oh, you know, shoot, that person saw me go to the bathroom three times today. Right. Like, I have enough of that. I don't need that at home too. And so doing the at-home workouts has been huge because I can just be me and I get through it how I need to get through it. Well, and and you're getting through it and you just have so much passion for it too. There's passion and energy and it comes through. But you now do fitness coaching, correct? So you do fitness coaching. And tell me a little bit about that and how you're, if you're also helping IBD patients through that as well. Yeah, it's kind of, I feel like it's kind of comical that that is what I'm doing now, given the fact that I have been like so not exercise focused Mm -hmm. for the majority of my life, Um, which just goes to prove that anybody can do this. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, my my coach um, that got me kind of into doing this was such an inspiration to me. I mean, she has ulcerative colitis. had um, an ostomy um, put in at the beginning of this year and is still killing it. I mean, she's just such an inspiration to so many. She shows up every single day. Mm -hmm. Um, Unless she's in the hospital, she's literally showing up every single day. And she was so inspiring to me that that's kind of what got me started. and made me realize like, okay, I want to hit play. I want to see what I can do. And probably within, it was probably a month into my, into my kind of journey with um, these programs. I realized that I can do it too. Like maybe I can inspire others to, mm-hmm. to do this because I felt so good 
with the kind of control that I had gained through doing these programs that I wanted to share it with as many other people as I possibly could. Um, and so that kind of is what got me led into coaching, knowing that I could potentially help others. And even if I could just help one person, mm-hmm. I was going to be happy with that. And so that's kind of what got me into it. And what I really liked is that no matter what your goals are, whether they're gaining weight, losing weight, wanting more energy, wanting to kind of focus more on nutrition, um, there's something for everybody through mm-hmm. these programs. And so I started a kind of an accountability group, um, mm-hmm. we call it, on Facebook to get people motivated and support each other and um, kind of do these programs together, kind of g- give people a platform to, you know, show, celebrate their um, successes, but then also have somebody to talk to if mm-hmm. they're struggling. Um, and it's been, it's been phenomenal for me. And it's funny because as much, as much as it's about helping other people, it's kept me so accountable to what I'm doing every day mm-hmm. that it also in turn has actually pushed me to be a better, to be a better person and to show up every day. That's fantastic. Now, is it yeah. a group coaching or do you do one-on-one or do you offer both kind of coaching? Both. Yeah. So essentially um, the way it works is if someone's kind of at a point where they've got some goals that they want to work on, mm-hmm. then they can um, they can sign up through me to become um, kind of a member of my team. Mm-hmm. And I work with them one-on-one on what their goals are, try to help them figure out maybe what programs would be best for them, get them set up in the challenge group, um, get the accountability group, and they kind of are on their own unless they need me. I do check-ins with all of my um, challengers just mm-hmm. to kind of see how, how they're doing, what are they struggling with, um, where do they need help, and then we work through that together, and then we all kind of just support each other. It's kind of the bigger it gets, the more supportive environment that you have, and kind of everybody's rallying together, which is nice. That is nice. So where yeah. if someone is listening and they want to, know more or get involved or have you coach them, would you send them to your website or the Instagram? I think Instagram is probably mm-hmm. the best bet. They can get a flavor of kind of what I, you know, what it's about every day through my stories, through my posts. Mm-hmm. Um, they can mess- certainly send me a DM and get, get started on kind of discussing goals. I think that's where I usually start the conversation is, what kind of goals are you trying to reach? And then we kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, I'll put your, I'll definitely put your link in the show notes so people know exactly uh, where to find you on Instagram so that they can do that. That's fantastic. So is there anything that I haven't asked today that you wanted to talk about or something you want to share? I think um, the only thing that I'll mention is that no matter where you are in your Crohn's journey, I think the most important thing for everyone to do is to just stay focused on um, what their goals are. And if you are in the midst of a flare, you just need to focus on what you need to do to get over that hump and take one day at a time. Cause you know, there are good days and there are going to be bad days. And the most important thing is that you show up for yourself every day and you just stay focused on what your goals are. I think that's very well said. That is perfect. 
Well, thank you. Thank you so much. I think this has been so valuable. I think we have so much to share as a community of Crohn's and colitis patients that we can share and grow and learn from. So thank you so much for visiting with me and sharing a little bit about your journey. Thank you so much for the invitation. It was so it was so great to get the invitation and to know that potentially um, there might be others out there that can learn from kind of my experience mm-hmm. and just um, and also just to raise awareness. Thank you for listening to the Crohn's Fitness Food Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you have an IBD story, either as a patient or a family member that you'd like to share as a guest on this podcast, or if you have a topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email at Crohn'sFitnessFood at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and my Crohn's journey, follow me on Instagram using at Food, or visit my blog for in-depth articles about my struggles and victories with Crohn's through diet, fitness, and lifestyle at www.Crohn'sFitnessFood.com. And finally, remember, be strong, be grateful, and be the warrior that you are.